0: You are listening to a sermon from Linworth Road Church. For more information about Linworth Road Church, please visit www.linworthroadchurch.com. Anyone familiar with that movie? Yeah, that movie's called Mr. Mom. Uh, Jack Butler is played by Michael Keaton, and he basically becomes a stay-at-home dad after he loses his job. His wife goes to work, and he stays at home with the kids. And uh, what we saw in the video is we saw him dropping his kids off for one of the first times at school and he goes into the drop-off line the wrong way and he says he's doing it the Jack Butler way, the Jack Butler method, which really meant he was doing it the wrong way. Um, And so he gets up to the front of the school and this lady named Annette comes up, she knocks on his door and she says, hi, I'm Annette, you're doing it wrong. And uh, I thought about that, uh, that scene from that movie uh, as I was working through our passage today because what we're going to see today in our passage is we're going to see p- that Paul is a good pastor. We're going to see that he loves the Galatians so much so that he is willing to emphatically yell out to them, you are doing it wrong. We've spent the last couple of weeks seeing how Paul has laid out the gospel message specifically in chapter 3 and chapter 4, where uh, Paul talks a lot about our identity as believers. And then as we get into our passage today, he's going to say, everything that I've said about you is true, and you're doing it wrong. You guys encouraged already? (laughs) All right, so with that, will you uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 4 in your Bible? So go ahead and grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, maybe you have an app on your phone. Hopefully it's on the front page of your apps at the very top, you know, it's like one of your first apps, better be, um, just kidding, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you, uh, and the pew Bible, Galatians 4, is on page 974, so why don't you turn there, and uh, while you're turning there, if you're new to Linworth, like uh, Pastor Rich said, my name is Nick, I'm, I'm the other Pastor Nick, um, I'm normally up here on Sundays doing music, but uh, today, I get the uh, awesome opportunity to share God's Word with you, and I um, also just want to say I really appreciate the uh, worship band this morning. It's, it's, great to, it's great to have a Sunday off for music. I love doing music, but it's also great to see other people just leading, leading us into uh, singing and into the uh, worship with the Lord, so I just, I really appreciate that. Um, I trust that you guys are at Galatians 4 already. Let's go ahead and stand. I'm going to read this passage. And I would like you to, I'd encourage you to follow along with me. Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 8, Paul says this. We're going to go to verse 20. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Ouch. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for who I am and again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Father, we confess, Lord, that we need you this morning. We confess that we uh, need to hear your voice. Holy Spirit, we need you to fill us and point us to truth this morning. Lord, we pray that as we work through this passage, you would minister to our hearts, Lord. You would work on our hearts this morning, God. Lord, for those of us in here who need to be convicted of sin, I pray that you would bring conviction in a gentle, loving way. Lord, we uh, pray this morning for those who uh, are lacking assurance in their identity in you, Lord, as a son or a daughter. Lord, I pray that you would bring comfort. pray that you would bring peace. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring assurance, Father. Lord, we pray that you would guide us, you would be with us. Lord, I pray that you would help me. I pray that you would speak through me this morning, Lord. I pray that you would help me to move out of the way. I pray that you would be blessed this morning. We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, go ahead and take a seat. Man, isn't Paul just really wordy sometimes? Like, I read through that passage probably 20 times this week, and I, it's like, it's just a mouthful. It's a lot there. Well, from the beginning of chapter 3 that we covered a couple of weeks ago until the beginning of chapter 4 that we covered last week, we see Paul as a teacher of the gospel. He's teaching the Galatians over and over again, this is what the gospel is. Paul is operating and, and writing from the perspective of a theological teacher, Like I said uh, last week in chapter 4, verse 7, Paul is beating over and over again into the Galatians' head this idea of their new identity as sons and daughters of God as no longer slaves to sin, to the things that they were enslaved to. And this morning, as we saw from our passage, we see Paul shift roles a little bit, shift perspectives a little bit into being this caring, loving pastor that I talked about who's willing to confront some tough issues with them. You know, in my early 20s, when I thought the Lord began to call me into ministry and call me to be a pastor, um, I got to confess to you, I had a really short-sighted view of what a pastor did. I thought a pastor really just got up on Sunday morning, gave the message, and then throughout the week, they just spent all their time studying and writing their next message. And then I began to surround myself with other people in ministry, other pastors, and boy, I could not have been more wrong about what a pastor does. I quickly realized that a pastor has to be someone, to to, to be a good pastor, they have to be someone who deeply loves and cares for the body and the people that they are leading, a pastor has to be someone who's willing to have tough conversations and confront issues within the church with individuals and with the church as a whole even when it's not important and this is what paul is doing and so what we see in our passage is we see paul lovingly confronting this issue with the galatian church and so he confronts this issue and then what we see him do next is he gives this plea to the galatians uh the, the galatian church and so that's where we're going this morning. We're going to see an issue be uh, confronted from Paul and then we're going to see him give a plea to the Galatian church. And so Paul addresses this problem here at the beginning of chapter or at the beginning of our passage today in chapter 4. So what's this problem that he's addressing? Well, in order to answer this problem or this question with justice, to, to, to do it justice, I think we have to have a little bit of an understanding of who the Galatians are, specifically who they were before Christ. And um, if we were painting uh, this, or, you know, if we were painting in broad strokes this morning, just by reading this passage, we, we could easily answer that, well, the issue is that the Galatians are going back into slavery. That's, that's the issue. But the thing is, I don't want to paint in broad strokes this morning. I, I want to get like full Bob Ross on this passage. I, I want to get down into the details of what's going on. I want to paint little trees and little friends like all over this passage as we're working through it. And so I want to figure out exactly what Paul is addressing here. And so what's going on? Well, again, as I said, in order to answer this question, we got to know who the Galatians are and who they were. And so we see that in verse 8. Paul says this in uh, verse eight. He says, "Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that, by nature, are not gods." And so Paul is saying, "Hey, listen! Before you came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you were enslaved. Enslaved to what? Well, Paul says they were enslaved to things that they worshipped. They were enslaved to the things that they made gods out of, who by nature are not gods." Paul makes it clear here that they worshiped false idols. They were idolaters. Simply put, they were pagans. These were not um, Jewish converts. These were Gentile converts. And if you lived in Rome in this day and you were not a Jew, you were most likely a pagan. And I got to say, paganism in the first century, it was was brutal. It was not a lifestyle that you want to subscribe to. If you were a pagan, you lived a very immoral lifestyle. In paganism, uh, the objectification of women happened all the time. There was idol worship in the temple, food sacrificed to idols in the temple. Uh, There was children's sacrifice in paganism. It wasn't a great uh, lifestyle and a method of worship. And this is who the Galatians were. And this isn't the first time that Paul deals with paganism in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 19 through 20, he, he tackles the issue of pagan worship. And this is what he says about it. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer they to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Paul makes the statement here that when we worship false idols, when we sacrifice the things that we make gods that aren't gods, we are actually sacrificing and worshiping demons. Paul makes it clear here that idolatry in the end is demon worship and God hates it. And Paul said, this is is what God has saved you from. Paul says in verse uh, 7, like we covered last week, um, he says, you're no longer slaves. This is what he's talking about. You're not a slave to these things anymore. You're not bound by these false idols and these false gods that you have made for yourself as a means of seeking salvation. And then Paul goes on in verse 9 and he says this, but now that you have come to know God, so he makes a shift here, This is who you were before, you were pagans, you were demon worshipers, but now that you have come to know God, Paul makes a turn here, here's what you used to be, here's who you are now, freed sons and daughters of God, this is true about you. But now that you know God, or rather to be known by God, and here's where our problem comes in, here's where Paul puts on his loving pastor hat and confronts the issue, He says, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Now that you know God, now that Jesus has secured your identity and your inheritance with the Father, how in the world could you go back once again into slavery? This is the issue. The Galatians went from being slaves to freed sons and daughters back into slavery again. Now, given the Galatians track record with paganism and reading Paul's words, if we were to take this passage at face value, it'd be really easy to think, oh, well, the the problem is, is that they're going back into their old pagan ways, right? I mean, Paul even said, you were slaves, you became believers, and now you're going back. How could you go back? But again, if we do a little bit of digging, if we don't take this passage at face value, remember... Bob Ross, Little Trees, if we get into the details of uh, even the reason why Paul is writing this book, this letter to begin with, if we we remember the issue that's going on uh, in this church with the group that has come in and has preached this false gospel, we'll see that the Galatians' issue is not that they're going back into paganism. It's not that they're going back to this uh, immoral lifestyle. This group that came into the church, that infiltrated the church, that preached this false gospel to the church, they didn't preach a false gospel that encouraged the Galatians to go back into rebellion and back into immorality. The false gospel that they preached was the exact opposite. It was a false gospel that said, hey, listen, I know Paul came in here and he said that Salvation is obtained by uh, grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and that's it. And I know that sounds nice and flowery, and it sounds easy, but listen, that's the problem. It's too easy. Salvation is not that easy. You need to, yeah, you, need, you, you, you still need to follow Jesus, you still need to worship Jesus, but in the end, in order to gain God's favor, in order to make God like you, you have to place yourself under the Jewish Mosaic Law. This is how you get salvation. This is how you get God to like you. And the Galatians bought it. They believed it. The Judaizers told them, you you need to be circumcised. You need to follow the letter of the law. You need to check off your religious moral checklist. As Paul references in verse 10, you need to observe the Jewish holy days and months and years. You, You have to observe the calendar and if then and only when you do this, God will like you. You'll find favor with God. This is how salvation is obtained. And by Paul telling the Galatians, by doing this, by believing this, by falling back into this slavery, by by calling this slavery, he does something astounding. Because we saw saw already at the beginning in verse 8, he calls their paganism slavery, this immoral lifestyle of rebellion against God. We see him now calling moralism and obeying God's law and putting faith in our obeying God's law as a means to salvation, becoming our own savior. He calls it slavery. He places both of these complete opposite ways of living and ways of worshiping in the same category of idolatry and slavery. This isn't the only place that we see this. I I want to back up here. Uh, Tim Keller addresses this uh, passage. He addresses Paul lumping these two things into the same category. Here's what he says about this. He says, Paul is saying that earning one's own salvation for scrupulous biblical morality and religion is just as much enslavement to idols is outright paganism and all its immoral practices. In the end, the religious person is as lost and enslaved as the irreligious person. Why? Because both are trying to be their own savior and Lord, but in different ways. And we've seen this play out in a, a, another place uh, in the Gospels, in Luke chapter 15, in the story of the prodigal son. In the story of the prodigal son, you have this father. He's got this younger son. He's got an older son, two sons. The younger son, immoral, rebellious, gets his father's inheritance, and he leaves. The older son, upright, moral, follows the laws, does all the things that he knows he needs to do. And on the surface... The two brothers look the exact opposite. They look completely different. I think there's even a temptation for us when we read the prodigal son to favor the older brother because he seems like the good kid. When in reality, both of these brothers are the same. They have so much in common. One of the things that they have in common is that neither of them care about the father, neither of them have a desire to be in fellowship with the father. The thing that they care about is that they want control of the father's inheritance. They want what the father can give them. What we see in the prodigal son, though, is that the the younger son comes back. The immoral son comes back, and he reconciles with the father. Tim Keller goes on to comment on this as well. He says, if anything, the idolatry and slavery of religion is more dangerous than irreligion because the idolatry of religion is less obvious. The irreligious person knows that if they are far from God, they, they know that they are far from God while the religious person does not. Folks, I know that God did not inspire Paul to write these, letters, these words to the Galatians So that just they alone could hear these words. I believe God wants us to hear these words this morning. I know God is using these words right now as a warning and as a plea to his sons and daughters, to some of us here this morning, who are submitting ourselves to this form of idolatry. He's offering this warning to us, this plea to to turn from it, to not go down this road. If there's one thing that you hear from me this morning, I I want you to hear this. If if everything else you forget, I I want you to hear this. God does not love you more because you got out of bed this morning and you came here and you are now sitting in this pew. He just doesn't. God doesn't love you more when you get up at 5 a.m. every morning and read your Bible faithfully. He doesn't. God doesn't love you more because of your dedication and your devotion and your discipline to serving and volunteering. And on the flip side, God doesn't love you less when you fall short of those things. Bible reading, church attendance, serving. Man, those things are great and we, we, we should do those things. But if we're doing those things because we think it's going to earn God's love and God's favor, we are missing it. We're we're making ourselves our own saviors. Everything that Jesus did and accomplished on the cross is pointless. If there's a way that we can earn our salvation, if there's a way that we can please God by our works, then Jesus dying on the cross and his resurrection was pointless. And Paul calls this a dead-end road to slavery and idolatry. God's love is not transactional. God does not love a future cleaned up, polished up version of who you are this morning. He loves you fully right now. Some of us believe that God is slowly transforming us into this better person the further we go down the road, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God has given you a new identity. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. You're justified. You're covered in the righteousness of Christ. When God sees you, he sees you as righteous because of what Christ has done. And so I want you to hear that this morning. God's love for you is not, it does not hinge on how well behaved you are, what you abstain from and and, and what you do. I think we need to hear that this morning. And so this is the issue that Paul is addressing and wants to correct with the Galatians. They believe this about themselves. If I I do this thing right, if I follow these rules well, God is going to like me better. And Paul says, you're missing it. It's it's idolatry. Your your sacrifices and your obedience, it's, it's going to be offered up to demons. So after Paul addresses this issue, he gives the Galatian church a plea. He pleads with the Galatian church. Let's check out verse 12. He says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. And I just want to stop there for a second. We see as we get into verse 12 that Paul makes a shift in how he communicates to the Galatians. There are places in the book of Galatians where Paul calls them fools. And shortly after that, he he asks, Who has bewitched you? You are bewitched and he changes his tone a bit. This is one of the only places leading up to this point in this book so far, where Paul gets relational and emotional with the Galatians. We see his love and his affection for these people. He calls them brothers. Later on in our passage, he says that he's in anguish because of them. In his anguish, he he, he likens the pain that he feels and the burden that he feels for these people to childbirth. I've watched my wife give birth to three kids, and it looks painful. I don't know how it feels for the record, but it looks painful. And so Paul, Paul's kind of putting his heart out on his sleeve. He says he's perplexed by them. And So he says, brothers, I entreat you. This word entreat, it means to plead. It means to beg, to earnestly ask for something. I am pleading with you. I'm entreating you. I am begging you. And his plea is very—it's very interesting. He says, "I plead with you. I entreat you to become as I am." Now, part of my job here at Linworth—it's uh, been part of my job for a while—and it's a part of my job that I really love—is to shepherd and disciple people. And underneath that umbrella of shepherding disciple uh, people, I meet with a handful of younger guys, uh, and I. You know, do my best, by the grace of God, to pour into their life and to help them in their spiritual journey and to help them with marriage and jobs and, and all of those things. And i got to be honest with you. I would have a very hard time telling somebody, just be like me. You know, I'm sitting down with, uh, with a cup of coffee, pour over, preferably, Um <laughs> For the record, we have a pour-over bar back there if you like pour-overs. You know, I'm sitting down with one of these guys over a cup of coffee, and they just get done pouring their life out to me. They just get done being vulnerable with me and sharing things that they're struggling with. It would be very hard for me for my response in that moment to be, hey, bro, listen, I I know you're going through a lot. I know life is hard right now. I just got one piece of advice for you, and I, I really want you to hear me. Just be like me just be like me. All of your problems will go away if you just be like me. I would have a, I would never do that. I would have a really hard time with that, and the reason why I would have a hard time with that is because I know I'm a pretty flawed individual. Spend some time with me, you will figure that out. I know my shortcomings, I'm very well of my shortcomings, and on top of that, another reason why I would have a hard time saying that is because I don't want people to think I'm arrogant. I don't want people to think I'm conceited and self-centered. And I remember thinking early on in my Christianity when I would read these words from Paul, he says things like this in other places. In 1 Corinthians, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And I remember reading these words and I remember thinking, geez, Paul, you seem, seem a little arrogant. You seem a little like sure of yourself and things like that. But I realized even more so as I studied this week that this is not Paul's heart at all when he says this. And one of the ways that we know it's not Paul's heart when he says this is because of what he says right after it. He says, become as I am because I've become as you are. And what does Paul mean by that? Well, a lot of commentators, they think when Paul says that, it actually should translate out more as past tense. And so when he says become as I am, a more accurate way to read it is because I became like you. And what Paul is getting at here is he's saying, listen, when I came to you, when I was with you, I didn't put myself up in a five-star hotel, I didn't retreat from you at the end of the day and, you know, kind of do my own thing. I became a Galatian. That's why he says uh, or, uh, somewhere else in the New Testament, I became, I've become all things to all men so that I may win them to the gospel. I became a Galatian. I ate with you. I fellowshiped with you. I'm a former Jew hanging out with former pagans and I'm, trying, I'm humbling myself and trying to be relatable to you so that I can win you over the gospel. I became a Galatian. I did things that you liked. I sang songs that you liked. I ate food that you liked. What Paul did essentially here is he humbled himself. So what good pastors do. Paul made himself accessible to the people that he's leading and shepherding. It's what good pastors do. This is what Paul's talking about here when he's saying, I have become like you. And so we see this humility in Paul and and we can see by him saying, become like me, it's not coming from a place of arrogance. Rather, it's coming from a place of humility. But so why would Paul say this? Like, what is he getting at exactly here? Well, remember, remember what these people are being deceived by. They're being taught to believe um, that it's their religious living, that it's following the law that earns them their salvation. And Paul is saying, I used to be just like you. Remember in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, he gives us this extensive resume. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regards to the law, a Pharisee. He's saying, I've been there. I know what it's like to be enslaved to the law. He knows the idolatry and the dead-end road of legalistic living. And what he's saying here by saying, become as I am, what he's saying is, Christ has delivered me from that. Christ has delivered me into complete freedom, into complete assurance and security in my identity of who I am in Christ. Christ. And if there's anyone who could say this, it was Paul. Nothing could touch Paul, it seems like, right? When we read through the New Testament, there's no circumstance, there's no thing, there's no person that could convince him otherwise or shake him from the reality of who he was in Christ as a freed son of God. Imprisonment, persecution, beatings, shipwrecks, being betrayed by people he thought uh, were his friends, false accusations, ailments, you name it. He experienced it. And nothing shook him. Nothing shook his identity. And so he's saying, become as I am. Live in this freedom. Come into the water with me. It's, It's nice. You'll like it. And so Paul is pleading with them to live in this freedom that they've been called to to live confidently as new creations that they are. And so this isn't coming from a place of arrogance, of self-centeredness. All he's simply saying is, look, the Lord has done an amazing work in my life. I was enslaved. I was an idol worshiper. And he delivered me from that. And because of that deliverance, I'm living in complete freedom. And I am begging you, I'm pleading with you to join me. To live in this freedom as i'm living in it this is paul's plea as i was preparing for the message this week i was praying that god would help me in case you weren't wondering that's a good thing to do Um, it's always a good thing to do but more specifically i was praying that god would help me with the end of my message you know it's typically the part where the pastor the person teaching they take all that we've heard and all that we've read and they bring it into our context today how it applies to our life today i was originally going to go all the way through the chapter and there's so much in this chapter like i couldn't even cover everything that was in our passage today but even more so i i realized there's you know if i went through the whole chapter my teaching would be like an hour and a half long and uh, i like teaching at linworth and i want to teach again and I was afraid that if I went that long I would not be asked to teach anymore and so I decided to take that section out of our out of our message today and so because I did that it kind of messed up my outline a little bit and I was just like Lord I'm trusting you and I'm asking you to help guide me here at the end of this message and and as I was praying to him in his faithfulness in his goodness the Lord I, I just kept hearing this word over and over again um, and I even shared it with Nick uh, as we were talking about the message at one point. It was the word trust. I was like, oh, okay, thank, thank you for that, Lord. I'm trusting that you're going to give me more to go off of uh, there. Um, what, what, what do you want me to do with that? And so he kept giving me this word trust, and he slowly began to help me see that this issue that Paul is confronting here this morning, this issue of idolatry, this issue of going back into slavery they really are symptoms of a much larger problem. The much larger problem that the Galatians were facing is trust. I believe that the Galatians lacked the trust and the faith and the goodness and the sufficiency of the grace of God. And this isn't the first time we've seen this play out in the Bible. In the Old Testament, in Exodus, the Israelites, God does these amazing things to Pharaoh, to, uh, to help them get delivered out of Egypt. He rains down like bugs and frogs and he turns rivers into blood and like all, all of these crazy things. And the Israelites get delivered out of Egypt and they're wandering around in the desert. Things get hard and they go to Moses and they say, hey, you know, Moses, I think you let us out here to die. It would have been better for us to stay as slaves in Egypt. We had food there, we had a bed. You know, I know I made, like, bricks with my feet out of mud and straw. I don't even know how that, like, works, but that's what they did, apparently, according to the Disney movie. Um, (laughs) But there is this idea where they, they quickly lost their trust in the delivering power and in the goodness of God for them, as his children. They lost trust. And I think there's a reality where there's a, there's a little bit of this going on here with the Galatians towards Paul. And in some ways, I, I don't blame them. It's like they, they went their whole life worshiping these false idols. And then Paul comes along and says, hey, you guys have been wasting your time. You're worshiping false gods. Here's, here's the gospel. I want to show the gospel to you. I think I would have some trust issues too. Man, I, I, spent, I wasted my whole life worshiping these things. And I want to embrace this gospel. It sounds awesome, it sounds amazing. Jesus is awesome. But man, I, I have some trust issues. There's still, it feels like there's still this thing in me that needs to earn something in order to gain favor with God. And that's the Judaizers took advantage of that opportunity and they preached this false gospel to them and they, they believed it. And so I think this. this idolatry and the slavery it's it, they're, they're symptoms of this larger problem of, of lack of trust in god it's the word i believe that the lord gave me this week um, and the, the thing i wanted to ask us this morning is are you in a place right now where you're struggling to trust in the fish the the sufficiency of god's grace in your life is there a part of you that it, it's, it's hard for you to trust everything that Pastor Nick shared last week about your identity as sons and daughters who are deeply loved by God, who when God looks at you, he sees you as a wonder to behold. As a father sees their little kid running up to them, that's how God sees you. Do you have a hard time trusting that? You believe in your mind, man, God, I think God's, most of the time, I think he's, annoyed with me, he's mad at me, he's irritated with me, he's always disapproving me. I, I'm there a lot of times. I just want us to, I'm going to ask you to bow your head for a moment. If you're in that place this morning where it's hard for you to trust, you feel like you're struggling with trusting in the sufficiency of the grace of God, you're struggling with believing and living and operating in the, the, the new identity that Christ has placed you in and called you to, could you raise your hand? There's no judgment by raising your hand. There's no judgment. I just want to pray for you. Keep your hand up. I, I see a couple of you raising your hand Thank you for raising your hand and being honest and open. I just want to pray for you for a moment. Father, Lord, would you please, we, we beg you, Lord, would you please um, shower these, these individuals with assurance right now, Lord? Lord, would you help these individuals feel how close you are to them right now? Lord, Holy Spirit, would you, as Pastor Chris always says, would, would, would you shine a, a, a floodlight on Jesus for these individuals right now this morning, Lord? Would you shine a floodlight of, on, on, on truth right now, Lord, about how you see these individuals and how how much you love them, Lord, how crazy you are about them, Lord, Father, would you deliver them from the belief and the slavery of thinking that their works, their right living, is somehow going to make you like them more, Lord? Would you help them to see that you fully love them now, that your love for them is not transactional at all? Lord, I pray that you would do this work in, in their hearts. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would break these chains. You would, you would bring deliverance and you would bring freedom. God, Lord, we know that there's nothing more that the enemy wants than for sons and daughters of God to be walking around unsure of who they are in you. And so we pray against the enemy right now, God. We pray against the schemes of the enemy and the lies of the enemy that he whispers in our ear every day that we are not good enough for you. Thank you that you have bought us with the blood of Jesus. You have adopted us as sons and daughters. And that you delight in us, as your word says in Zephaniah chapter 3. And that you sing over us, Lord. Thank you for that. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. I just spoke about trust for a little bit. And one of the ways that we express our trust in the, fit, the, the sufficiency of God's grace and the uh, atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross is by his sons and daughters taking communion. We do this twice a month here at Linworth. And I wanted to read a couple of verses here to you before before the ushers come down and uh, release the Rose worship team. You guys can come on up. I know it's a really uh, popular passage to read, but I just want us to hear these words. Isaiah chapter 53. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs, He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. If you've placed your trust and hope in Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to come up as we sing. And I want want to invite you to receive these elements that represent Jesus' death and his perfect sacrifice. Amen.